0: Today, we'll talk about why people don't always want what they really need. And we're also going to talk about what this has to do with the gloves and socks my grandparents gave me for Christmas 50 years ago. Hi, friends, it's Jeff Hudson. Welcome to the Relational Podcast, where we learn to measure, understand, and build successful business and service relationships. It's the first week of a new year, and up and down my street, overflowing trash dumpsters stand at the curb in silent witness to what I call the psychology of our wants and needs. So let's wind things back to a Christmas 50 years ago. Under a Christmas tree then was a long box with my name on it, containing a Lionel Wabash Cannonball electric train set. That was my equivalent of Ralphie's official Red Rider carbine-action 200-shot range model air rifle, except there was no risk that I would shoot my eye out. Also under the tree is a small package from my grandparents that contains a new pair of gloves with reinforced fingers and palms. In my mind, I didn't want them, and I didn't need them. But to understand that gift, you have to understand my grandparents. They were born poor by today's standards and raised their children, including my father, during the Great Depression. Basic needs, such as shoes and gloves, were treasured. Electric trains couldn't prevent frostbite and a cold winter's walk to school. Today, I understand my grandparents. A life of hard times taught them a different lesson of needs versus wants. But the holiday boxes spilling from my dumpster today show I live by different standards than they did. In economics, a classic definition of wants are the things we desire, while needs are the things that we must have to survive. So let's focus on that word desire. The dictionary tells us the word means to long or hope for, To exhibit or feel desire for. In short, desire is an emotion. The economics definition of need, what it takes to remain alive, is starkly unemotional. At its most basic level, it includes food, water, heat, and shelter. However, it becomes frightening emotional when access to those basic needs is threatened. And that leads us to a discussion I had this week with a group of leaders with a great deal of experience in the retirement industry. Their concern in mind is that many who desperately need to engage in retirement planning fail to do so. Why does this critical need fail to drive want, the desire to take self-benefiting action, in this case to begin to plan for retirement so that your basic needs are met when you're no longer working? After more than 15 years of working to engage plan participants, I'm confident there's not a single answer to this question. But I've seen data that points to one possible explanation related to my grandparents and the hard times they lived through. First, I've led research that found that those with more income and money and retirement savings tend to be more engaged in retirement planning. That's probably not a big surprise. Significantly, however, a study I led two years ago found more than 11% of plan participants always struggle to pay for basic expenses. Another nearly 25% in that plan frequently struggle with basic expenses. So who do we find struggle the most? Not surprisingly, couples with middle and high school age children at home, singles with that same age group, and singles with young children at home. A reasonable conclusion is that providing essential needs such as groceries, clothing, and shelter takes all the money, and I might add emotional energy, available for the third of plan participants who are struggling financially. That struggling third is the same group that may benefit most from retirement financial education, yet facing the potential for a painful retirement in the distant future is outweighed by the present reality of day-to-day survival. While this study focused on retirement, I suspect we can also apply this to those who forego basic health care and dental care so they can keep the lights on and milk in the refrigerator at home. So let's revisit the questions that we asked at the top. First, Do the people you serve really want what they need? The data suggests you should first seek to understand the diversity of need from their perspective. My grandparents understood my need as gloves and shoes. However, today I experience need, perhaps just a want, for faster internet connections. Who do you serve? Does one strategy to meet their needs really reach all of them? Second, if you provide a product or service you know people need, will they buy it? To buy something, I'm asking you to reallocate your time or money to meet a need you have come to believe is more important than other things. If those you serve have more funds and time, they may have easier choices. If you're serving the third who are living on the financial edge, how can you make your product or servant relevant, urgent, and affordable when they're experiencing life as a day-to-day struggle? I'm convinced we can help both the affluent and the working poor in our retirement plans. As a plan administrator or consultant, do you see this as an urgent need or an unnecessary want? Go to www.relationalgravity.com and contact me. Our participants need us to make a difference. Thank you for listening to another Relational Gravity podcast. Remember, it's about relationships always.